Hello and welcome to Hustlers for a Cause, the podcast for growth-oriented entrepreneurs and executives who aspire to create positive change in the world. Are you in business for more than just profit? Then like and subscribe today and join our channel to become a hustler for a cause. to Hustlers for a Cause. Today we are honored to have with us special guest, Emily Kuhnd. Emily has over 20 years experience in data and analytics, and currently she helps business owners take their business to the next level by understanding their clients better, making better decisions, and capturing higher quality leads. She's the founder of Analytics to Inform, a company that specializes in training on data visualization tools, And she's also applying that knowledge with some of her clients, helping them improve lead generation. Emily, it's great to have you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much. I am like super excited to be here. I noticed that you spent a long time working for the government in the Office of the Comptroller of Currency. Tell me first, what is that in terms that everyone can understand? And second, how do you go from a comfortable government pension to into going into business for yourself? Sure. So the OCC is the abbreviation for that agency. And as I had to tell some people, that did not mean Orange County Choppers when that show was very popular. But the Office of the Controller of the Currency is a bureau under Treasury. And so it's basically bank examiners. It's like internal audit, but you can't fire us. Bank examiners don't manage the bank. We just point out what's working and what needs work. And try to point that out for management and the board to take action. And if it's serious enough and they're not taking action, then the agency can enforce action. It was a very challenging, like, I mean, in a good way, job. And I really liked it. I was a year and a half from qualifying for pension when I left. There were a couple of things that actually happened to make me want to go from very secure and stable job that was mentally stimulating and that I enjoyed Mm -hmm. to then something that was very challenging, not stable, starting my own business, and why I just didn't go into working for a bank. And one of the big things was that I was missing my kids. So I had a high travel season during the spring, where it was not uncommon for me to leave on a Sunday afternoon and get back on a Friday night. And I would be traveling to two to three cities a week. I just started to miss my kids more. And the really the big kind of gut punch moment for me was when I was finally able to see my son's baseball game. And I was making chit chat with the moms near the dugout. And the one mom said to me, do you have a kid playing in this game? And like, I can start to like laugh about it now, but I wanted to cry. I guess they thought that my husband was a single father, but they didn't know me. That was really tough. And my daughter was crying. She didn't want me to leave. And at the same time, I had a work situation that was brewing and I just became very unhappy. So it was really hard to show up being unhappy and missing my kids. So it was really just a perfect storm. And I took a look at my life and said, like, I'm strong enough. I can weather the storm if I really want to, because my goal was to be a senior leader in that organization. But the travel is not going to get better. I'm still going to miss my kids. And at the end of the day, is that the quality of life? Is that really what I want to be doing? 
And so after talking with my husband about strategies and what this would look like, we made the decision to start transitioning the insurance. And I set out a path to start my own business. I kind of took the summer off, which was nice. It actually felt like, do you remember when you were in high school, I guess, having the summers off and how awesome that felt? Yep. I had that same feeling and it was amazing. I was like, this is eventually what I want to get to in my life. I started my own business and I've had a couple of iterations and things that I've changed focus on, but I really love where I'm at now. So <laughs> I'm super happy, even though financially not making that healthy. <laughs> six-figure salary with amazing benefits anymore, but I am so much happier. So I guess tell me a little more there, like that evolution. You said you had like a couple iterations as you went. Where did it start for you and where does it take you to now? Sure. Well, when I was first thinking about leaving and starting my own company, I thought, well, I have almost 20, I actually have over 20 years banking experience if you add up my time as a bank regulator. And I started working in a bank when I was 15 years old. So basically seven years between 15 and 21 when I got the job at the OCC. So over 20 years of experience in banking. And I thought I love data visualization. I learned about it when I was at the agency and I just thought I can really serve small banks and I can be a consultant and I can help them out. But what I found was that didn't really light me up. And so as a result of it not lighting me up, I really struggled to get leads. And I really struggled for those cold calls and all of the business generation activities that I really needed to do. So there was this other part of me that I had actually called. I had developed a plan a few years ago about helping online coaches with data because there, it's such a data-rich industry, and yet coaches don't tend to think about that because they're so in their craft and they're working in their zone of genius. And so I started thinking about, well, what would it look like if I could help them? And I pivoted from so wanting to work with small banks to something that has really been on that idea shelf from a few years ago and working with online coaches. And even with that, I had an iteration where I struggled with my messaging on that. Towards the end of 2018, going into 2019, my husband, who also works for the public sector as well, he got furloughed. And because I was going through this iteration in my business, I had accurately projected my expenses, but did not accurately <laughs> project my income. And so I'm going, oh, no, we have no money coming in. And I just happened to find a quiz platform where, and I had dabbled as a hobby in network marketing. And so I was like, well, maybe if I grow that business, maybe if I can get people to see the financial opportunity that exists with this network marketing company, which has an amazing compensation plan, maybe I can grow a business that way. And maybe it'll help other people because like we thought we were stable. I mean, working for the government, pretty stable. But yet here was the longest furlough in history, not stable. Mm -hmm. And it would help others if they could identify some of their, I think it was called, what's your financial fitness? And put the quiz on, on my Facebook page. And I had people coming back to me saying, this quiz is really good. Like it is accurate. It's actually better than what we see at some banks. And so that started me like looking into quizzes as a business. Beyond the business, you also are spearheading an initiative called Pretty Strong Smart, right? Can you tell us more about it? 
Sure. I love Pretty Strong Smart. And the way that that came about was I was getting a department store and I had to buy a new suit. I was going into a board meeting for a bank. It's one of the major banks in the U.S. And so I want to look nice. And I took my daughter at the time who was, I think she was about six. And we're in the fitting room and I'm like, you know, got my suit on and I'm going, Katie, how do I look? And she's like, you look like a president. And <laughs> girls can't be presidents. So this was back in wow. August of 2016. And my heart sank. I am all about women's empowerment and being an advocate and, and all of those things. And yet my own daughter didn't think a woman could be president. I wanted to cry, actually. I mean, it took a minute for me to go, oh, my God. Like, if I can't get through to my daughter, then what about the rest of the world? Yeah. And I told Katie, I said, well, you know, there's other countries with women leaders. Just because we haven't had one here yet doesn't mean that we won't. And really what I told her was, look, girls can be anything that they want. They can be pretty. They can be strong. They can be funny. They can be smart. Like, we don't have to be just one thing. And that was really what prompted me to take action and really start at that. And I was also talking with somebody after I was leading a class. I had a lot of credentials for leading this class. I'd studied leadership also for 20 years. I have some certifications relative to what we were teaching. And the co-instructor was joking about how attractive I was in front of the class. And I was like, I am more credentialed than you in this situation. And this is super uncomfortable. And having to have some conversations with men who didn't understand why women's empowerment and was a thing. My thought was that if I can help change the value system, like really get those values rooted in at an early age, then I don't have to deal with the comments about my looks in front of a class. I don't have to deal with the guy who's going, hey, I should have the same opportunities as women. So if I can get it woven into their belief system early on that women and men and girls and boys are treated in, or whatever gender you identify with are equal, then addresses it at a root level. So that way we just build on that. So part of that initiative is to do outreach. It's to, um, and I've gone to a couple of schools. I also gave out a scholarship to a woman who was showing leadership skills, but also was focusing her work in a STEM area, because that's an underrepresented area. And uh, the third component that I haven't gotten to yet, so this is strategic plan, is to develop parent resources. Because it's one thing if I just talk about how we should all be treated the same, and uh, you don't like when I do an activity at one of the schools where the boys get basically three-fourths of a donut and the girls get a whole donut to represent the pay inequity. I mean, I know that those numbers aren't right, but you try splitting a donut by 71%, it's kind of hard. Um, <laughs> they didn't really like that. And so it's one thing for me to go into schools and really get buy-in at that point. But it's another thing if the parents don't believe it. And they're like, what did you do? There's no need to have this. And so that's why having those parent resources will be important. And eventually I want to turn that into a nonprofit, but there's still some foundational work that needs to be done. So I came from a multinational. So like I have the, a lot of data visualization experience that I did. You always think of like data and analytics and like the giant corporations and how they're using data and munging. 
but so often solopreneurs and really small companies don't take advantage of it effectively. What do you feel like are the ways solo or small company are not using data that they really should be taking advantage of it today? Well, I think that there's a couple of things. One, if it's a solopreneur who is on Instagram, I mean, I think that the insights that Instagram automatically has there available for you to just scroll and take a look at, I think that they're really amazing. You know, I always tell entrepreneurs, especially really it can range up to that seven figure entrepreneur, especially if they've built their business and slowly they've built a team or it's been VAs and now they've got an assistant, real small. You don't have to put in place something that Amazon has. Like do what works for you in your organization. If you're starting out, start with the Instagram insights. Start with the insights that your social media are providing to you. One of the other things that I think is really helpful, if you're doing uh, a lot of webinars, take a look at how they're converting. Is that a good choice for you as a lead magnet or as a way to get people to buy your products? I always like to have data-informed decisions. But I think one of the biggest things is just to be open and curious. And that, I think, will win the day. So I guess when you're talking about it there in that manner, it's not really hard for that person to get started using data then, right? It's data that's already available to them. They just may not be looking at it. Yeah. I mean, that's where you can get started. And then you can go from looking at it yourself to then using a service that'll provide you those analytics. So all you have to do is log in and you get to see information about how your posts are performing we know okay so what are my highest engaging posts because that's the stuff i want to keep doing so that i can continue to get higher engaging stuff conversely what are the lowest performing posts then the data informed decision is well maybe i shouldn't be doing that stuff so that's just a really nice way of being able to grow in terms of the complexity and the service that you're using. When you have developed this major brand, then you can get to be something like Brendan Kane, who he's testing Instagram. He wrote 1 million followers, mm -hmm. uh, a book called 1 million followers. And he uses data all the time. And he has people who are coding and developing the data visualizations for him and then the analysis for him. That's a huge brand who's very data informed. And so you don't have to start there. I love simple and impactful. Like let's start with the most simplistic but yet impactful approach. And that just might be audience insight. And then you grow. Definitely. And I think something you're alluding to there too is testing. So you can see the data and you can see people are interacting with me or not. But in order to know why and in order to make a change, you have scientific mindset. You know, here's a post that'll be more inspirational and a post that may be some other way. And now over time I can run those and test them. As you bring those together, what kind of ROI do you think like that solo or small entrepreneur can expect from this? I mean, that's tough, right? Because it depends. I don't know that there's really a good ROI that's been published on analytics for social media. I mean, everybody's going to have their little bit of a different spin. Part of it depends on what you do. If you're looking at the analytics for your email service provider and you're looking at your open rates and you're looking at your click-throughs and all of those highlighted metrics, well, if you make a change that will improve those, well, we know the ROI on email marketing is 42 times for every dollar that you spend. I don't know if there's solid numbers that have been published on that, but I think it just depends on which platform you're playing in. 
Cool. So there's been a lot of talk too now around we're in the middle of pandemic right now. There's all this talk that started with this crisis of like, is it even safe to be marketing right now? Or how should we market? Why do you think the this pandemic's even caused concern over marketing and messaging? And it's now like an okay time to be marketing? So I think the reason why it caused concern is because nobody wants to be that person who is seen as taking advantage of people. So I think that's why there was a lot of questions out there around that. But then what I saw was a lot of reassurance in terms of, yes, go and continue to sell. I am in that camp of continue to sell. And for a couple of reasons. Number one, we know that we were due and maybe slightly overdue for an economic downturn. Regardless of pandemic, we were due for an economic downturn. It had been longer than 10 years for a traditional business cycle. So we knew that that was coming. It was just a matter of when. The pandemic really dropped us down. And so then we look at that economic recovery and what that might look like. One of my mentors says this all the time. Now is a great time to start a business because when people are ready to spend again, you're going to be able to serve them if you start now. But I also think that selling now is important is because if you have a high ticket offer, well, maybe you take that and instead of the common thing that a lot of people would do is to say, if you can't pay in full, then you can do a split pay, but we're going to charge you just a little bit more or we'll charge you more. Instead, that split pay might be just a little bit more. Or you just say, you know what, instead of charging you more, we're just going to say if the program is 5000 and it's five months, we'll just charge you 1000 a month. So it's making it more accessible. The other thing too is, and I'm a firm believer in this, your price point may be higher or lower than somebody else's. And so if they don't have the resources to invest in that person who had a higher price point, Well, if mine is just naturally, not because I'm trying to undercut anybody, but just naturally priced lower, and I know I'm offering a good value, then they're going to be able to say, well, I couldn't afford this person who does a quiz for 7,000, but I can afford Emily. And uh, I know I'm giving a good service, and so it's not like they're getting a cheap service. So I always think that there's room, and people will just naturally kind of settle or gravitate to where there's room for where they can invest. So the pandemic really kind of forced us as we were thinking about investing in our business or selling our products, I think it kind of forced people to go, well, what can I invest now? And how, and as a service provider, how can I make that accessible to people now? So I think that it is a fine time to sell. We need to do this. We need to have money continuing to flow in the economy. I mean, that's what kind of makes it work. And it's just a matter of how you go about it. You know, if you were charging, like you were like, you know what? I have a captive audience for this selfie stick I'm going to use as a measuring stick, or I'm going to have a yardstick and just sell that and like jack up the price 10 times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're probably going to be seen as somebody who's trying to take advantage of the situation. Like but- all the people selling hand sanitizers right now. <laughs> Okay, I kind of make this assumption that people are service-oriented. Like, we're service-based. We, uh, we want to serve others. We want to help them. So I'm fine with selling in this time. And I've had some discovery calls and hired some clients just launching something now where I'm like, no, I need to get this out. I need to make it accessible. I want to serve. I need to serve people in this way so that they are ready when people in September – because that's when I think that people will start seeing 
more of this uptick again. When people are ready to spend in September, I want to help people build their email list and nurture them. So that way, when they offer their thing, you know, when they're selling in September, people are like, oh my gosh, I know I can trust this person. I'm going to buy from them. So that's how my mind is working when it comes to pandemic and how we operate as business owners. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. There's an important point too that, like you said, right, as business owners, we are selling a product we believe in that we think is really helping other people and that we have results that back it. So I don't think there's anything wrong with continuing the discussion. People, as they stayed home, started having more time and started looking more, right, towards like, how am I going to reframe my business and pivot out of this, right? This is like a time for disruption, like you said, right? So I think it's a great answer. So I really want to dive in a little more before we end here on your quiz capabilities and such. So I was talking with someone else the other day and they were saying that they felt like the traditional call to action of like download an ebook is dead. I haven't seen it personally, but I'm curious what your experience is with quizzes and assessments and what kind of results you've seen from them. And if you've done any kind of like A-B testing or anything around quiz as a giveaway versus anything else and, and how it's worked for you and who it works for. I love quizzes and that's actually where I spend most of my time. So while I love data and analytics and work on a couple of ad hoc projects here and there for entrepreneurs, most of my time is spent on quizzes because that's something that entrepreneurs can really see the immediate value of. So that's why I've been really focused on them. And I love them because, I mean, they tick so many boxes and I will try to keep this answer super short because I just did like a 45 minute training on quizzes the other day so I could just go on. But okay, so so their conversion rate, I have seen it 35% is what some of my clients have gotten been 43% case study overall. Industry range is usually 35 to 50%. So some people have seen lead conversion up to 75%. None of my clients have, but my clients are in that 35 to 45% range so far. So I think that that's why they're a really effective lead magnet. They are more effective, generally speaking. The, there's been different studies that have shown or different articles written about this that'll say that they do convert better than a PDF download. Because unless that PDF download is super juicy and is really going to solve my problem, it goes into my email graveyard. And with a quiz, the reason why it's so effective, there's two reasons. One is, and it's interactive. So I'm, you know, answering. And then at the end, I get the result. So that's the immediate value that I'm going to get from a quiz. Whereas that PDF download, I've got to read it, I've got to implement it. So there may not be as much immediate value there. So those are a couple of reasons why they are really effective and generally will convert better as a lead magnet. I love quizzes too, because being the data nerd, I love it because of the underlying data. And this is how I always you know, tell my clients and why I'm so passionate about it. Like the lead magnet part is the, is the fun part. It's like, you know, the party invitation where you're inviting people over, yep. but what makes them stay at the party is the information. It's like, they've told you in the invitation, like, oh, I want vegetable platter and I want smoked sausage and I want this and that. And so then you serve them up all of the things that they've just talked about, whether that's through your social media post, another freebie your podcast episode, a paid service or product. And so that's why they are super effective. 
the lead magnet is like the sexy part. The data part of it is really the part that to me is the best part about quizzes. So, okay, I gave some information there, but <laughs> I may have missed part of the question because I got so excited about no, it. <laughs> that's right. Okay, so I guess another follow-up to that, like you can even use quizzes as like a qualification. Is this a good lead for me or not? Absolutely. So let's say you do use it in that way at that stage in like the sales marketing funnel. What do you do with the people that are not qualified leads that come through there now versus the people that are? So part of it is the first part that'll weed out the people who aren't qualified is when you build the quiz out to make them opt in to get their results. So they have to provide their email or whatever the contact list that you're building, email is the most common. They have to provide their email and their name generally. If they're not willing to do that, it already wipes them out. People know when I provide my contact information, I know that I'm going to get an email from this person. We just know that. So that's the first thing. And for the other aspect of, you know, what if they're not like the best fit, then what you can do, I mean, the way I look at it, I'm still being of service, right? Like if you've read the Go-Giver book, like this will really resonate. I may not be the person for you, but I know somebody who is. So, or I know that person or that resource. And so I can then say, hey, you might want to check out this person, but if they've already opted in, and the way that I structure my quizzes is that there's going to be some way I can generally help them. But if not, provide them that resource because what that person will remember is, oh my gosh, like Emily, like I couldn't use any of her services, but do you know that she connected me with that person? And that was amazing. So then when I am looking for referrals, then that'll be a great referral source for me. And it's that ability to give and be open to receiving whenever it happens. I love that you brought up the, the go-giver too. I actually like met. Bob Bird. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's amazing. So I guess one last question there. Sure. So you actually will do the quiz and then email and name at the end and not the inverse name, email first, and then the quiz. Correct. Yeah. Because here's the thing, like, what am I opting into? Like I've done those quizzes before where they've asked me for that information. I think Barbara Corcoran actually has that. I don't know what I'm opting in for. So if I've already taken the quiz, I kind of get a general sense of what's going on. Yeah. And so then I'm more willing to opt in to get the results. So that's why opt-in page last. That's awesome. I would love to have you back on and to go deeper on this. Okay, so if there is one thing that you could make everyone in the world do differently after our conversation, what would that one thing be? Oh, it's so hard. I can't even decide on one thing. I mean, when it comes to business, of course, like, the quiz lover in me is like, do a quiz. You can use it for almost anything to help your business. Um, I think the biggest thing though, and this is kind of a generic answer, but I think it really helps is be open and be curious. So I think when you're open and curious, you know, like if you've had that lead magnet forever, we'll be open to what would it look like if I use Pinterest and a quiz or PDF and a quiz. So I think that that helps. And that could be about lead magnets. It could be about your business in general. It could be just even conversation. So that's probably my one thing. Awesome. Okay, where can people go to learn more? Well, I love hanging out on the gram. So you can find me there at Emily Kuhn, E-M-I-L-Y-K-U-N-D. You can also go to emilycoon.com. Thank you so much. It's been awesome having you on and I definitely look forward to having you on in a future episode. Awesome, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I'm so happy to have been on. Great, thanks, take care.